Um, we've been on this crazy adventure with the early church um, the last month, looking at these really important proclamations that they have made about Jesus. Um, primarily, the gospel is what we've been looking at, the good news that Jesus was the Messiah, that he came to the world to save us, to he died for our sins, and God raised him from the dead so that we could have hope, so that we could have forgiveness for our sins and find new life in him. But really, the crazy part of this adventure has been looking at what was going on when these proclamations happened, what was happening in the world, what was happening in those moments. The first proclamation happened when people from all over the world had gathered for a festival in Jerusalem. Um, and then the Holy Spirit comes on the believers and um, allows them to share the good news of what God is doing in the world through Jesus in not just their own language, but in all sorts of different languages, right? So people from all over the world could hear the good news about Jesus, pronouncing that, that Jesus had come to save all people. If you remember from Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter was actually quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel saying, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And that really was the emphasis, all people. <laughs> Before Acts 2 came, the spirit of God was active in the world, but mostly involved in ma the major characters, right? Moses, David, those type of people. Um, and just for a time. But after Acts 2, after Jesus sends the spirit, a new, a new age has begun, the, the age of the spirit, the spirit started working in all of Jesus' followers. Now, did the people who heard the good news in their own language that day, that had gathered for that festival, um, did they do something to somehow earn that moment where they heard the good news in their own language? Well, no. The reality was, if you listen to Peter's proclamation, they were actually involved in getting Jesus killed. Um, so it was fully by the grace of God that moment where they got to hear the good news about Jesus. It was a gift, right? Well, the second week, the proclamation happened as Peter and John were being used by God um, at the Gate Beautiful, if you remember that story. Um, this man, he's not been able to walk his whole life. He was lame um, from birth. Um, and because of this illness and the way that the Jews thought about illnesses, he wouldn't have been allowed to be in the temple courts. He he would have been seen as someone who had done something wrong or maybe his family did something wrong. That's why he was lame. And, and so he was kept out of the good news, kept out of what God was doing. Until now, the good news was coming for all people, right? Even the lame, even the sick, those considered to be unclean previously were now available to hear the good news. Now again, had this lame man done anything special to deserve this moment where he heard about Jesus? Well, not really. He's just um, sitting there minding his own business, looking for a few coins. But this comes along, right? It's transformational. This changed his life, life-changing by the grace of God. Truly a gift of God for him to hear the gospel. The third week, we saw the gospel being shared by Peter to an even different crowd from what we've seen. We've seen the lame um, have access to the, to the gospel. We've seen um, these foreigners have access to the gospel. And in this third week, Peter actually went and shared the gospel with a Gentile, with those who were not Jews, the Gentile centurion named Cornelius. And, 
his whole family, his household. And if you remember the story, God had shared this vision with Peter, um, declaring to him through an angel in, in Acts 10, verse 15, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. God was telling him, don't tell me that this person's not clean. I get to decide who's clean and who's not clean, right? And this was a huge deal. Up to that point, us, those of us who are not Jews, were considered to be the lowest level of humanity. We weren't worthy to be a part of their group, right? The Jews had this, even these special rituals, um, cleaning rituals that they had to do after they spent time with us, <laughs> after they spent time with Gentiles. They had to clean themselves up. Kind of reminds, reminds me of COVID, right? I mean, you can't go by those people because you're going to get sick. We, they believed that somehow you were contaminated if you hung out with a non-Jew, right? And now the good news has come even to the Gentiles, to those who are not Jews. What? And, and what about this Cornelius, this centurion, this, this guy who had received this invitation to be part of the pe- people of God? Was, did he, had he done something extra special to deserve this moment where he was invited, got to hear the gospel about Jesus, well, we, we, he certainly was a good guy, right? But we don't see him in the story doing anything to clean himself up. He wasn't doing any special rituals or ceremonies to be acceptable to God. The gospel actually comes to him, just like the others, as a gift, right? It's God's grace coming in the form of the gospel of Jesus and then last week, we got to watch as the early church moved into these regions that were way out there, way far away from anything that was kind of the Jewish majority lands. We see Paul and Barnabas. They're still going to synagogues. There apparently was some synagogues in the area. Um, they're going to share with a mixture of Jews and these devout, God-fearing Gentiles. They're sharing the good news with them about Jesus, the Messiah that had come to save all people offering them hope, offering them forgiveness. I mean, listen to Paul's conclusion to his proclamation last week in Acts 13, verse 38. He says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes. (laughs) Does that mean everyone? Everyone who believes is set free from every sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now that last part was a big deal. What, what Paul was saying was that, that that cleansing, that purifying, that justification before the Lord being acceptable to him, it was beyond what they could have received from the law of Moses. What's he saying? I mean, do you have to go through an extra scrub and an extra rinse next time so you can be acceptable in, in God's presence? No. <laughs> He's saying it's by grace. It's by the grace of God through Jesus the Messiah that brings forgiveness of sins, that brings this rightness with God. It's not about following any type of rule. It's not about following even the law of Moses. It's about God's grace. By God's grace, you are saved through Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news, right? 
How many times do I have to say this? Hopefully we're, we're catching this, right? They're repeating it over and over and over again. It's by God's grace they have been saved. And what's interesting in Acts 13, as, as Paul is sharing with these Jews at the synagogue, they're interested in hearing about Jesus being the Messiah, this one that they've been waiting for. They actually are wanting to hear more, right? They invite the disciples or they invite Paul and Barnabas to come back the next Sunday to share more. They wanted to hear more about the good news. But as you follow the story, we find out that they ultimately reject the good news, didn't they? They didn't want the good news. Why? Because of what it meant for the company that they would have to keep. Think about this. At this point in time, the Jews, they, were, they had this exclusive club, right? Not everyone could get into it. These guys were the people of God. They liked that, right? They had high standards in order to get into this group. I mean, you have to follow all these rules to get in here. Not anyone can make it in. Oh, you're a Gentile? <laughs> nope. You, you can just quit now, right? There's no way you're going to get into our group. But now, now that the gospel is out, right, that by God's grace you can actually be saved, the admittance fee into being the people of God is what? It's free, right? Jesus paid the price. So, hey, anyone can get in. Anyone, right? Even those people. And you know who those people are, right? Those people we don't want to hang out with. Those people. They had those people. The Jews back then, they had those people, right? They didn't like the fact that they had to share their club with those people, the Gentiles. <laughs> In fact, the truth is that they'd rather not be saved. They'd rather not know Jesus as their Savior if it meant hanging out with those people. Read the story. True. <laughs> it's one of the saddest stories I've ever read, isn't it? And this really was a turning point for the church. If the Jews were going to reject the good news of the gospel, the good news of God's grace, then the church really had no place to turn but to those who were interested in the good news which were the Gentiles, right? And you remember verse 46 from Acts 13 from last week, Paul and Barnabas, I mean, these Jews, they had turned on them and was now causing them problems. And Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, saying, we had to speak the word of God to you first, talking to the Jews. We offered the good news to you first. Since you rejected, though, <laughs> and because you don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, <laughs> I, I kind of sense some sarcasm there, right? We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. Again, going back to the, the Old Testament prophets, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Wow. I mean, that's a major shift, isn't it? Well, today we're going to skip ahead just a couple chapters to, to chapter 15 of Acts in this developing saga, which is the early church. Now, last we saw 
Paul and Barnabas, they were getting kicked out of the area by these Jews that didn't want the gospel, right? In fact, we see those Jews that were opposing the gospel becoming even more aggressive in Acts chapter 14. In the next town that they go to, the gospel's preached, many come to believe in Jesus, but Paul and Barnabas had to flee the area because they hear that the Jews are actually planning to stone them, actually planning to kill them, right? And then they move on to the next town, right? And after sharing the good news of the gospel and many people finding, finding Jesus, right, they actually do get stoned. <laughs> if you read the story in Acts 14, these Jewish antagonizers, they drag Paul out of the city, they stone him, and they, they leave him for dead. And somehow, the disciples kind of surround Paul and, and uh, help him survive, whatever that means. Um, I mean, what a price to pay to share a free gift of salvation. It really is kind of an odd picture. Did Paul and Barnabas let that stop them? No, they just kept on going, going from town to town, place to place, preaching the gospel, telling them about this free gift of salvation, right? They weren't afraid of the opposition. They were helping the church grow, helping these Gentiles who were interested in the gospel find their way to hope and forgiveness. So as we start into Acts 15, know that they're still a long ways away from home. They're out, out. I mean, they're 300 miles away from Jerusalem. So that's a long walk, right? 300 miles. And a different kind of opposition actually shows up here in Acts 15. And this opposition really strikes the core of what the gospel is about. It really comes back to this very basic but important question how are people saved? What do they need to do to be saved? That's the question they're trying to address. And, and it's, it's an important question today, as important today as it was then, right? But, but if you really had to sum it up, this question about what you had to do really comes back to this cleanliness topic. Um, and, and we're not talking about taking a regular shower or even going through a decontamination shower to get all of your cooties off of you so that you're acceptable to God, right? But it's getting to a place where you're approved by God kind of clean, right? <clears throat> How clean do you have to make yourself before God will accept you enough to offer you salvation? That's the question. Is, is it by God's grace is it a gift of God, or, or is salvation something that we earn? Really important question, right? And then as in now, there's always, seems to always be a group of believers who think that we need to be saved before we can be saved. You understand what I'm saying? You actually have to fix yourself to a point where you don't need fixing, or or to save yourself to a point that you don't need saved in order to somehow qualify to, to find salvation, right? We need to somehow fix ourselves. We have to believe everything correctly or we have to do all the right things. We've got to, to not do all the wrong things if we're going to be qualified to be saved. I mean, there's always those Christians that have this huge high standard uh, about salvation, which... I don't have to start the sermon over to tell you 
that salvation is a free gift, right? And this battle within the church has been happening for years. Well, ever since, right? Since the early church. In fact, back in the 1500s, there was this thing called the Reformation. You probably heard of it. And this reformer, Martin Luther, nails these 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, and he really set the world on fire. But he really wasn't inventing anything new. You know what the discussion was there? Point 62 of his 95 actually states, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. If you want to know what the treasure of the church is, it is this good news, the gospel of the grace of God. What's Martin Luther standing up for? Even then, it was the good news of the grace of God. This is a free gift. I mean, he's, and who is he fighting against? The church. He's fighting against the church. Because the church wants this high standard, right? They're, it honestly gives us reason to pause and, and think about this. What do we church people have against the grace of God? Have you ever thought about it? Why can't we allow free gifts to be good news? <laughs> and leave it at that. I mean, if God wants to give us a free gift of salvation, is it okay? Or do we have to pile everything else on them, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. And though it may have shocked people back then in Martin Luther's time, they didn't know what the Bible had to say, actually. But Martin Luther's thesis were right in line with where we are this morning in this passage. And what we can gather from the writing, from what we can gather from the writings of Paul, this happened more than once, actually. You look at Galatians chapter 2 and here in Acts 15, at least a couple of instances where these certain Jewish believers in Jesus were actually following Paul around. <laughs> And after he leaves an area, they would come in and they would tell Gentile converts who had just received Christ as their Savior, right? And they would tell them that they weren't saved until they did all these other things. Until they, until they <laughs> were circumcised. Until they were able to follow all the law of Moses. Read with me, Acts 15, verse 1. Certain people came from Judea. You see where they're coming from, right? From the mainland <laughs> to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were. And they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. What were they saying? Unless you become a Jew, you cannot be saved. Unless you follow all the regulations and Get the duty done of circumcision. We won't get into that this morning, but you can't be saved, right? Well, we've looked at the proclamations up to this point. We're in the fifth week of looking at proclamations of the church. Was that anywhere in the proclamations of Peter, Paul? That, hey, it's a free gift, but it's not free? No. It was never Jesus plus anything and you could be saved. Was it? Jesus plus anything actually ruins everything. Did you guys know that? I share that in my, my Connect class. <laughs> Anytime you try to add anything to Jesus, 
You just messed it up. Jesus is all we need. It's simply Jesus, believing in Jesus. And that's what Paul and Barnabas has been saying all along. So you can just imagine their response. In verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. (laughs) Those are probably softer words than what was happening, right? What in the world are you guys doing? Why are you doing this? And, And for some reason, they couldn't resolve the issue among themselves. So the church of that area decided to send a delegation all the way back to Jerusalem to the leaders of the church to see if they could settle this issue once and for all. Second part of verse 2, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. What's the question? How can a person be saved? What do they need to do to be saved? The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, you know what they did, Paul and Barnabas? They told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. (laughs) See how they responded? You mean all these people are coming to the Lord? Praise the Lord! Isn't that exciting? When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Again, they were welcomed. This is exciting. This this shouldn't be a problem. (laughs) So even as they were traveling and arriving in Jerusalem, it's almost, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when we have missionaries come in and they they're from some part of the world and they're sharing their story about how God is moving. And that's really what, what we see here. Everywhere they went, Paul and Barnabas, they're sharing all that God is doing, and the church is celebrating. It's exciting. So now we're in Jerusalem, and what is considered kind of fascinating, they're really the first council of the church. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And it's this debate that took place, and, and it really is our fifth proclamation um, And in this proclamation, there's a literal proclamation about Jesus, but there's also a defense of the gospel tied into this. And the first ones to speak, as we see in verse 5 there, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. (laughs) You notice the description? Who are these people? They're the Pharisees. <laughs> We're not surprised by that, right? They love their rules, right? No surprise. But I think it's also fascinating in this verse. It says, then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Well, these are people who are believers in Jesus, right? And yet they stand against the good news. They, they stand against this free gift of salvation. Does that ever happen? Unfortunately, yes, it does, and that's why we're talking about it. Verse 6, the apostles and elders, they met to consider this question. Again, what is the question? What does it take to be saved? Pretty important question, right? And I think it's interesting that the apostles and elders, as you see the kind of the timeline of things, the leaders of the church, they meet to discuss this question, and they haven't even talked to Paul and Barnabas yet, right? They haven't shared Yet, who is in that group that would have met together? The leaders. Peter. And why is Peter important? 
Well, we remember just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Acts 10, Peter and Cornelius. And this is where our proclamation for this morning comes in. Verse 7, after much discussion, Peter gets up and he addresses them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. What's he talking about? Peter's talking about Acts 10, right? And Cornelius. Verse 8, Paul con- or Peter continues, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, talking about the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Okay, so let's just break this down a little bit. You see what Peter's saying here? How did Peter and the other believers know that the family of Cornelius were accepted by God? You remember? Well, he says right here, it's because they were given the Holy Spirit, right? Just as God did to who? Peter's talking here. (laughs) This is just as God did to Peter and all the other believers in Acts chapter 2, right? So Peter is saying that both them and us, (laughs) we have all been shown to be accepted by God in the very same way. The Holy Spirit resides in us. That's how we know. And then Peter brings into the proclamation what he learned that day about cleanliness before God. Remember the the quote from Acts 10, verse 15, where the angel says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So we see in this passage that Peter is saying God did not discriminate between them and us. In fact, he purified them in the very same way that he purified us. So if we're going to (laughs) argue that they aren't saved and that we are saved, and yet we all have the same signs, I think we're barking up the wrong tree. Because God made them clean through faith in Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, which is exactly what he did for them. You look at verse 9, he says, He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And then Peter continues in verse 10, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He's talking about the, the law of Moses, right? All the rules that were tied to that. And Peter says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The love Moses, Peter's saying, didn't save us. We're saved because of grace, the grace of God. Because they could never follow the law fully, right? Think about the Jews. They never, (laughs) the law of Moses actually didn't make them acceptable to God. It only pointed out their shortcomings of what, of what they should have been doing for God. Their shortcomings so they could re- repent and make the necessary cleanliness provisions for falling short. And yet now, the Gentiles and the Jews have the same provision to find faith 
and salvation. Jesus the Messiah has come to provide the necessary provisions so all of them could find salvation for free through his death and resurrection. As Peter explains, kind of my summary of it, what does it take to be saved? We're all the same. With or without the law, we all need Jesus. We all need grace. And that's important to point out, right? In fact, something very important here, this may not have been official unity within the whole group, but we see Peter and Paul, at least, saying the same thing. We are saved by the grace of God. Verse 12, finally Paul and Barnabas get to share. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And you can just imagine in that setting, this quiet that goes over the crowd, maybe a holy hush as they're listening to all that God has done, right? This really isn't about Gentiles or Jews. This is actually about God doing his thing. God was behind it all. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. Again, a quote from the prophets. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who, who does these things, things known from long ago. It's so interesting to me that they keep quoting the Old Testament prophets, which we always assume that, well, the Old Testament is non-grace, right? And the New Testament is all about grace. But here we have these guys, they're quoting Old Testament prophets over and over again. It's almost like this offering of grace to all people was the plan all along think that could be true? And then verse 19, James concludes, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not try to make them Jews. <laughs> There's something different. New creations in Christ. Instead, and he gives some suggestions, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. I mean, the reality is that every day we are forced to make a choice, to try to earn God's favor, to try to earn God's approval by being as good as we can, or we can respond to his love and grace knowing that if we fail, he loves us and his grace covers us and helps us to trust that everything's still going to be okay, right? We are saved by grace alone, period. And that's what Peter and all the others are proclaiming this day. And it's a proclamation that we have hopefully been reverberating throughout history. God saves us by his grace. How many times have I said that this morning? And yet God's grace is still such a hard concept for us to catch. 
How could that be possible? That God is offering to us salvation with no strings attached. It doesn't make any sense to us. I mean, what is God's grace? When we look at the definition, it's God's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. He gave us favor that we didn't deserve. It's it's a kindness. It's not deserved. It's unearned. It's when we get what we don't deserve, right? What does this look like in practical terms? I just want to offer just a simple illustration of what grace might look like. I mean, imagine a parent sets a jar on the counter, and every day, every day the kids are good, they get to put a penny in. And every day that they're bad, they get to take a penny out. And the goal really is, is if they can get that jar full of pennies, they get to go out for ice cream, right? Now, if they have a really bad, bad day, they're not only going to get one penny out, but the parent has the option of removing it all, right? Starting over, empty the jar. And you know what that's called? It's called justice. You get what you deserve, right? Penny in if you earn it, penny out if you don't, and you're hoping to fill this jar up. Now imagine a day at home, I know it's probably not too hard to imagine, that the kids are just having a rough day. They woke up fighting somehow. They were screaming at each other. They are even yelling at their parents, and they refused to do their chores. If there was a rule to be broken, they broke it that day, right? If there's chores to be done, they totally ignored them. It was total chaos. It was a horrible day. And this agreed-upon contract that, that they have with their parents, right? If you follow the rules of that contract, what happens that day? The jar gets empty, right? What's that called? <laughs> Justice. That's what they deserve. <laughs> what, do, what do they deserve? They don't actually deserve not getting something. They actually deserve to get something, right? Punishment. That's what they deserve. And when they don't get that punishment, what's that called? Mercy. Are we happy about mercy? I'm happy about mercy. But what if the parent instead, you know, after this horrible day, jar should be empty, calls the kids into the kitchen and says, you know what? I love you. Let's go to ice cream. What do you call that? It's grace. But we as parents, we struggle with that, don't we? We don't deserve that. Why would we do that for them? I love you. Let's go to ice cream. <laughs> Grace. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what's mercy? To not get the punishment that we deserve, Right? made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. It's unmerited. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of what? His grace. How is he going to show his incomparable riches of his grace? Well, it's expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know how the world's going to see God's grace, the gifts of God, and be excited about this God who gives away salvation? It's by looking at us and how he's blessed us, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. May the Lord help us to not be like those believers who kept trying to stack more work on these people, right? Salvation is free. Not because we earned it. And we certainly shouldn't look down on other people if they're struggling. Because we're there right there with them. Shouldn't be afraid to hang out with them. Should be loving on them, right? This morning we're going to actually close our service talking about baptism. What is baptism? Well, baptism is a public declaration declaration of what's going on inside the heart, right? And God knows what's going on inside the heart, but it's declaring your trust in Jesus to save you. You believe that Jesus can save you, and he is saving you. It's a declaration of what God is doing, not what you're doing. God is saving a soul. What are we doing? We're dying to our old self so that we can be brought to life to something new. So what is it? It's a celebration of God's grace. Something that we don't earn, that we don't merit, <laughs> but that God is giving us the salvation. Praise the Lord. So just allow me to share a story from Acts 8 that really, I think, just ties everything together. I love, I love this story in Acts 8 about Philip. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So what do we know about this Ethiopian eunuch? Well, he's a foreigner, right? Not a Jew. And on his way home, he's sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Well, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. What's that story about? Grace of God, right? Jesus would take that on for us. 
And so we see the eunuch asking Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. What a great story, right? But it doesn't end there. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Isn't that a great question? What can stand in my way of being baptized? Huh. Kind of what we've been talking about this morning, right? And at this point in the story, in Acts 8, we can come up with all sorts of reasons that he shouldn't be allowed to be baptized. I mean, it's Acts 8. It's not even Acts 10 yet where Peter has a conversation with, with the centurion, right? So we can think of things like not being a Jew, not following the law of Moses. Um, probably his nationality would be a problem, right? His color of his skin, um, all sorts of things. Why he shouldn't be saved. Why he shouldn't be baptized. <laughs> but God's already working on all of those areas, right? That we find out. And by the way, do you notice in this passage that verse 37 is not there. And if you're looking at your Bible right now, <laughs> verse 37 is in brackets, which means that it's not included in the earliest manuscripts, what's written, written there. Kind of interesting, right? So even in the church, <laughs> they wanted to answer that question, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And do you know what they actually put in that? It was in the later manuscripts, so it's not included in our Bibles because it's not in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, the footnote, if you see, at least my Bible has a footnote, what was written in there at a later date. It says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. If you believe in all your, with all your heart that Jesus is the Savior, you may be baptized. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, the truth is, that answer to that question came later in, in history, right? That's why they don't include, include those words. But it doesn't mean that those words are wrong, right? Probably were included because they were pretty good. I mean, why, what would get in the way of me being baptized? Well, do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? Yeah. Well, then let's go, right? <laughs> I mean, it's almost inherent in the desire to be baptized. If, why would you want to be baptized? Well, I want to declare to the world that, that, that God is saving me through Jesus, right? And that's what's happening here. And so we see in verse 38, and so the eunuch gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. What's somewhat humorous about this question, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? We also have another answer to that question. Um, if you're sick. The two people who are going to be baptized this morning are sick this morning. So that is actually one reason why the standing in the way of them being baptized, right? That's kind of clever on God's part, I guess. Um, But maybe this morning, 
we're going we're gonna to give them an opportunity in the next couple of weeks to be baptized. And maybe some of you, maybe this morning that God is calling you to declare that you once were lost, but you want to be found in Jesus. That you once were dead, but now you want to find this new life in Christ. That, that you want in on this free deal. <laughs> Who doesn't want a free deal, right? But Jesus paid the price so that we could have hope and forgiveness for our sins and for this new life, right? Is that something that you would want this morning? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are so, so thankful that it is your desire to offer us free salvation. We don't believe it. We hardly trust it. But that you've sent your son to die and pay the price so that you could offer us your grace, a gift of salvation. Lord God, so often we want to work to earn this salvation that you are offering us. But we can't earn it. We can't ever get to a point where we are acceptable to you, except through Jesus Christ. It's our faith in Jesus as our Savior that gets us there. This is the only way. So Lord, this morning, there may be those here who have been striving. They've been working hard, trying to earn the right to be called the people of God, trying to earn their acceptability to God. But Lord, they can't. <laughs> There's no way to do it in our own strength. They need your help. So, Lord, I pray with them. Lord God, would you just forgive me of my sin? Help me put aside all of my striving to be perfect and right with you. Help me to trust in Jesus to be my Savior. Help me to invite him into my life. Help me to find life, new life. The life that you desired me to live. Lord God, we as the church, we celebrate that this morning. We celebrate the hope that we have in Christ. So help us, Lord, as your people. A love on those who desire to follow you. Not pile on, not push them down, but to actually walk along with them, to love them, to encourage them, to support them as we all walk together in Christ. And we celebrate that this morning. We celebrate your grace. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
you stand with me this morning as we close? I was about to say that I wasn't going to say that, you know, um, I wasn't going to say again that it's by grace that you've been saved, because I think you've heard that a few times this morning, but, but the scripture we're going to read as we close this morning has that in it, so I, I'm not saying that. Ephesians chapter 2, one more time. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. People of God, you are a blessed people, aren't you? You're so blessed. <laughs> and you have been saved by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God. So this week, let's be the good news, people. Let's be about the good news. Can we do that? Can we be <laughs> about the gifts of God? Let's freely share the gospel with others through our words and our actions. You are sent.